0: Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast. I'm Jackie Lynch, nutritional therapist and author of the books, Vavavoom, the 10 day energy diet and The Right Bite, smart food choices for eating on the go. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. So join me on a journey through midlife and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Today's episode is all about herbs and the power of plants. For centuries, people have used herbs in a medicinal capacity, from ancient civilizations through to today, where many modern pharmaceutical drugs were originally derived from plant extracts. Drop into any health food store, and you'll find a whole range of herbal supplements. Chat to your friends, and they may swear by a miracle herb that banished their hot flushes, but you might not find it so effective. I've invited herbalist Ed Joy to join me today so that he can demystify herbs for us and give you some practical suggestions for a herbal approach to your symptoms. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Silk, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. Vaginal dryness can be a real problem during the perimenopause and the menopause. It can cause itching and discomfort, painful sex, and make it difficult to insert a tampon or to use a topical oestrogen dispenser. So I'd like to say a big thank you to Silk, not just for supporting this podcast, but for offering a gentle and natural solution for women with vaginal dryness. Their plant-based formula is made in New Zealand with kiwi vine gum extract. It's a natural lubricant, which is water-based and pH-friendly, so that it gently soothes vaginal dryness and irritation, helping you rediscover your love life. It's available at all chemists and off the shelf in larger boot stores. Visit uk to order your free sample. And so on to today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Ed Joy. Ed is a specialist in herbal medicine with over 20 years experience and he weaves a combination of homeopathy, naturopathy and nutrition into his work, taking a truly holistic approach. I've attended several of his lectures over the years, and I'm always fascinated by his insights into the therapeutic power of plant food. For the past 12 years, Ed has worked closely with the naturopathic supplements company Bionutri, where he advises on product development, and more recently with Aquasol Trading, a herbal tea company. But today he's here with his herbalist hat on, and I'm really looking forward to hearing his words of wisdom on how a herbal approach could support a healthy menopause. Welcome Ed to the Happy Menopause. Hi Jackie. It's great to have you here. And what I'd like to do is start out by finding out a bit about you and your story. So how did you get into the health world and, and how and why did you become a herbalist?
1: Well, I think I've worked in with health foods as, as long as I can remember because I grew up in a health food shop. Oh. So um, it, it was really very much a part of my existence uh the environment i grew up in it was the smell of herbs the smell of vitamins the, the smell of fresh ground coffee all of that sort of thing that was so uh much a part of the 70s health food store oh
0: that's fascinating i had no idea
1: um yeah and that's that's my that's my sort of origin if you like but i think i really uh started to embrace health foods uh and Uh, the big picture of uh, holistic health when I suffered with lymphatic cancer as Mm. uh, someone in my early 20s. And at that point uh, I was juggling with both alternative medicine and with conventional medicine. But there came a point when suddenly I was faced with the chemotherapy having been so effective that I couldn't use it anymore. It simply wiped out my immune system. Uh, so I had to come up with something else. And um, between myself and the people who I worked with both then and now, uh, we came up with a system that was both, um, well, you could say complementary, but it was, a, it was an integrative therapy that we embraced. And it really became the sort of seminal moment of my, my work today
0: my goodness and and you're all fit and well now, obviously
1: yeah this is uh, this is getting on for twenty years ago, yeah, um at the time, at its worst, I was given a sort of six month prognosis, oh, which was quite goodness. bleak and um after after a period of about two years, I sort of felt that obviously when you're you're treating yourself, you can't use words like remission or recovered or of you know, but I've been in good health now for getting on for 16 years. So um, with that I can take heart.
0: Well that is quite a story. <laughs> so what about the herbal side of things then? Did you have to train? How, the, how does one become a herbalist? Well I think,
1: I, I think everybody's story is different but my, my herbal training started in my grandmother's kitchen um, and she was uh, the daughter of a doctor born in india under the british raj and uh, her first um, sort of early discoveries of 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 medicine were were natural medicine ayurvedic medicine in fact and um, a lot of what she taught me in her kitchen came from her origins 100 years ago in uh, on the west coast of india so Um, There is that. There is uh, a later fascination with botany, uh, and particularly ethnobotany. So the working parts of plants, which is, is my sort of specific training. And then later on, naturopathy, which is more specific to the human condition.
0: Right. Right. Gosh. So, I mean, you talk about 100 years ago. Do you have a feeling that we've sort of lost touch a little bit with some of those older folk or herbal remedies um, in, in sort of our busy 21st century lives? I think we have. I, th- I think a number
1: of things has happened. Um, and I think when you say our busy lives, that puts quite a fine point on, mm. on where the problem is. It's not, it's not that there isn't the awareness of herbs and how powerful herbs are, but it's how we integrate them into our life. We see them, as we see most things that are natural, as separate to us. We don't account for them as being a part of us. We see them as things that we can adopt in times of great need. But we don't see them as a basic necessity. And to me, that's where herbs are at at their most powerful, at their most influential, where they can become a
0: part of us
1: in our everyday lives.
0: Right. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about this because, of course, what I'd like to focus on today is the menopause and mm. the impact of herbs on the menopause because I, I think there's probably a lot of confusion out there and if you look at social media, lots of people are claiming that one herb or another herb changed their lives and others are saying, didn't work for me and nobody knows quite what or how they should be approaching it. So um, can they really help with menopausal symptoms? What do you think?
1: Well, I think, I think they can and they do help every day. And I, I, I think that people's experience is always different for a huge range of reasons. Um, I think people are different. People's digestive systems are different. People's experience of stress and their uh, exposure to environmental toxicity all affects their relationship with what they might try to do to deal with symptoms associated with the menopause. Now, I think when we're talking about herbalism and the menopause, we are talking about something that is far more nuanced in our uh, acceptance of it, and our ability to take it on, than a drug. A drug is a standardised system that will pretty much do the same thing to one person that it does to the next. And really, the side effects are the manifestation of our individuality. Right. Often with herbalism, where you're dealing with something that is far more complex and far less concentrated in one uh, constituent, you are the, the, the nuance is that Sometimes it'll work for somebody, sometimes it won't. But invariably, it won't do anybody any harm. And there are herbs that do us harm. Uh, But there's not many of them, and they're not widely available on the market. I think that it is possible for us to buy them and to bring them in, but on the whole, herbs that we can get in a health food shop, that we can buy online, that are sold to us, from UK retailers, that's pretty safe. They have a very good safety record. And I think that's, that's something that is important to, to remember and to focus on.
0: I suspect that uh, listeners are probably sitting there thinking, okay, but yes, which herbs and what? Um, some of the ones that uh, obviously I'm familiar with as a nutritional therapist would include things like black cohosh, jaccus mm-hmm. castus, red clover, sage, and even things like rhodiola on the calming side mm. of things. Um, which ones, if we start with hot flushes, which ones do you think might be the most effective for those?
1: Well, hot flushes are the sort of central question when it comes to the menopause. I think it's probably the most the most commonly associated system problem that you might go and. We'll go and question a health practitioner about and 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 in this case there's there's an awful lot of herbs that you can do there's the ones you mentioned there's also peony there's ginseng there's sage there's red clover there's a whole host of different herbs that you can use for the 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 menopausal associated symptoms perhaps the most commonly used herb in the UK now for uh, uh, hot flushes would be, would be sage, would be red sage um, and sage isn't only a herbal medicine, it's widely used and most commonly used mixed with potatoes and cream sauces and all manner of different things. Um, so it plays an important role not just in our uh, relationship with the menopause but also in our gastronomic state of being and sage, this point is is quite crucial because it shares uh it shares a place in our diet and not just in our relationship with our uh, with our symptoms Mm. it is a a herb that can perhaps um that we can perhaps rely on um now there's agnus castus which people can we
0: just go back to sage yeah of course um Does that mean that the sage that I can buy in the supermarket would have that same, possibly that same effect, albeit not at perhaps such a concentrated level?
1: There's no reason why not, because the active ingredients in sage are uh, essentially um, a flavone called thymol, and that is part of the aroma and the taste that we associate with sage. Now, when it comes to the symptoms of the menopause that people are feeding, it is partly the antioxidant activity of thymol that helps to reduce the the excess of hot flushes that's when we absorb that thymol into our bloodstream right that it starts to exert exert an effect on our ability to cool our body so thymol phenol those two flavones are absolutely key to the benefit of sage okay so actually Really good cooking can influence our state of health. It's not just a specific type of sage that is picked at a particular time of the morning. It's actually the saturation of sage as a herbal uh, as a herbal compound. So if it's well infu- infused into food, then it can it can work. If it's well infused into an alcohol tincture, it can also okay. a
0: benefit. So, when you say well infused into food, what do you mean? What would a listener do?
1: Well, I think, um, as I'm not a chef, I'm probably not the best person to tell you how best how best to infuse sage into food, but I would imagine that sage, not cooked too, over too high temperatures, infused in the latter stages of cooking, right. so you get a balanced infusion, I would say as a, as a herbalist, that would be the way, way to get the most out of the right, sage. Right.
0: I think it's probably also the way to get the most flavour out of the sage as well. Probably. And of course, much in the same way as with nutrition, we know that um, high temperature cooking will deplete certain key nutrients from food. So the long, slow cooking of, of anything really is more likely to retain nutrients.
1: It does undermine it over a period of time. Um, not, not with all herbs. They all change and and, and with that mint family of herbs, the herbs that we rely on as part of that sort of uh, that system of gourmet cooking that actually they have a very high tolerance to high levels of heat, they they are still quite powerful but and often the best way to take a, a sage herbal remedy would be to pour boiling water over the sage. And allow that to stand, and allow it to cool, allow it to become a cold infusion, right? And then, and then to drink
0: it. Excellent.
1: Um, so, I think for me, it's important where you can to dispel the need for herbs or herbal remedies to also always be presented as this sort of apothecary system.
0: Yes, thing in a bottle.
1: Absolutely, a yeah. magic potion. Yeah, um, it's not a magic potion, and. Our our relationships with herbs Mm. should be about our diet first, I think, because often, to my mind, where we experience symptoms of inflammation, where we experience symptoms of discomfort, it's usually through our diet that we can have the most powerful influence upon those systems.
0: Right. Okay, well I'd certainly adhere to that in my <laughs> professional capacity. So I cut you off when you were about to start talking about uh, Agnus castus, so fire away. Yeah,
1: I think with, with Agnus castus, um, and, and, and with herbs like Agnus castus, like peony, um, they, they are herbs that we, we don't typically come into contact with in our diet. Mm. Um, Agnus castus is a perfectly edible herb, it's chasteberry. Um, doesn't taste very nice, it's quite bitter, but it can form a part of the diet. But where agnus castus differs to something like sage is that it, um, it uh, reduces the incidence of hot flushes by changing the balance of hormones. Right. It interferes with receptor sites and it essentially makes us, makes our endocrine system behave like a younger person's endocrine system.
0: Oh, I'm all for that.
1: Now, that, that's very, very attractive. I don't think there's, there's, there's anybody who would perhaps listen to this programme and wouldn't be sort of tempted by the idea of everlasting youth. But <laughs> to my mind, and I don't know how qualified I am to talk about this, being a, a middle-aged man, but to my mind, um, the, the goal with the menopause shouldn't be to deny ourselves the fact that we're going through uh, a change, uh, a transitional phase of our endocrine system. It's gonna happen. You can't avoid it. Your, your, the, the, you, your endocrine system is going through a speci- from a spe- one specific state into another. And um, part of the, the stress and part of the symptoms that are associated with that, the reason some people feel them so intensely is because we haven't been able to modulate them on the nutritional level, where we really rely on deputizing other things, other elements to to influence our health. Um, We would normally call on nutrition to fit into that precarious area. Um, And this is where, to my mind, herbalism becomes nutrition. They become one and the same thing. It's where phytonutrients can assist nutrients in modulating that hormonal activity.
0: So can you just define a
1: phytonutrient for us? A phytonutrient is a compound like a flavone, a flavonoid, a bioflavonoid, Um, materials like quercetin or rutin, compounds that are not specifically nutrients, they're not vitamins, but they are bound up with nutrients.
0: And they're found in plants.
1: They're found in plants and they're found in the same place that you would typically find a vitamin C, a vitamin B. They are part of that sort of natural synthesis of a plant food. Mm. You find them, um, and you, you would never find uh, just vitamin C in a fruit. It's bound up with all sorts of things that protect the integrity of that nutrient. Yes. Because that nutrient doesn't just have a metabolic role in our lives, it has a metabolic role in the life of every living thing, and that includes plants. Yes, we don't often think of it that way around. No, we don't. But the role of vitamin C in nature Mm. is fundamental, just as the role of every nutrient in nature is fundamental. It's part of the impetus and the protection of life itself so um, we rely on that nutrient but what the nutrient itself relies on is phytonutrients to protect it stimulate it and maintain it right in nutrition we rely on phytonutrients to assist nutrients assist their pathway and assist their abilities their If you think of vitamin C, then there is a nutrient with 500 different metabolic roles in the human body.
0: Yes, it's a very, very busy nutrient. It's a very busy (laughs)
1: nutrient, and it's a nutrient that typically we don't get enough of in the modern diet. But a phytonutrient is used to open up the pathway of the vitamin C. It allows the vitamin C to be utilised by the different systems with the different glands and in the different tissues that vitamin C is
0: utilised in. I see. So the whole role of phytonutrients then is something that can facilitate our wellness by supporting the action of certain key nutrients.
1: Absolutely. And to my mind, this is particularly in the case of of, of the menopause, which is a perfectly natural transitional phase, it is where herbalism can be particularly powerful. Mm. Because by engaging with the phytonutrients in herbs, and allowing them to play a role upon our nutrients, then you have a system Hmm. um, that can be put in place that can support that transitional process.
0: Okay, so again, speaking as a nutritional therapist, one of the things I'm always rather cautious of is ensuring that my clients don't sort of overdose on, one high dose single nutrient because nutrients are as you well know designed to work in synergy together there's no one food that only contains vitamin c or only contains zinc or whatever Um, so very often when i'm looking at a supportive program and if people are asking me about the types of supplements i'm more likely to look at something that would be a combination because that would tend to mimic the the action of nature. And so I'm wondering with, with herbs, if that's similar, because there are so many popular herbs that are out there. If people were looking for something that might be useful to support them in the menopause, would it make more sense to have something that's a complex with different herbs that might address different things? Or does it not work that way?
1: No, it absolutely works that way. I think herbs are, as 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 you would see from the best cooking, the the best meals are made with a bouquet garni. So I think yes, that is, are. is in itself yeah. a perfect synergy that you can yeah. you can rely on to infuse flavors more broadly. Um, and the way that herbal herbs work uh, to benefit our health is exactly the same way. Many of the flavones that I've talked about that exist in all herbs, um, they work uniquely together. So the flavones that we find in sage can also be found in rosemary, they can be found in thyme. And then each one contains individual flavones as well. So whereas in sage you might find phenol and thymol, you would also find thymol in thyme. Right. Which is most, the most commonly associated flavone with that herb. But in time, you find a small amount of phenol and you also find a very small amount of rosmarinic acid. rosmarinic acid is also the flavone that is most commonly associated with rosemary. Right. And, but then rosemary shares different um, uh, terpenes and terpenoids to the pine family. Um, And as a result, we get that very distinctive um, aroma Mm. from uh, rosemary that is both similar to the mint herbs, but also similar to the pine herbs. So you get these broad spectrum flavones and terpenoids that can be very, um, very beneficial when they're shared amongst different herbs. So absolutely, complexes are important to the synergy and the activity of the herbs when we when we actually consume them, um, I I would say when it when it when it comes to dealing with sem- symptoms of the menopause and trying to put a sort of system together, that I think it's important to look at it both nutritionally and uh, and botanically at the same time. Mm, mm. I think that, for instance, vitamin C, vitamin E and omega-3 are very important nutrients when it comes to dealing with the, with the menopause, particularly vitamin E. And this is probably quite a controversial point, but I think that ginseng is one of the most powerful herbs when it comes to, um, for, to helping people with the menopause.
0: What, what would ginseng
1: help with? Well, ginseng is, um, for, for one thing, ginseng helps other nutrients to uh, make their way into the, the tissues of the body. It's, it's, it's a holistically helpful sort of herb. The, the name ginseng, its botanical name is panax, um, which, which, um, which comes from the term panacea, which is uh, an, an, an all-powerful term. It's mm. an all-healing mm. herb. And ginseng in itself is a tonic. It's a food, almost anybody can take it, and for anybody who takes it, they will feel basically stronger and more able to cope with the stresses and strains that they experience in, in any given
0: day. Well, that's an interesting thing to pick up on because, of course, we've talked about hot flushes, but I think one of the most underestimated symptoms of the menopause is is the residual anxiety um, and that sense of um, loss of confidence, brain fog, confusion that can happen. Are there particular herbs that you target there?
1: Well I think ginseng is among them. Um, And one of the herbs that you mentioned particularly was rhodiola, Mm. um, which is a lovely herb uh, and has, has in the west has really sort of Gained more and more awareness in the last 20 years, whereas we didn't probably didn't use. Although it's a herb that's naturalised to the north of Scotland, we didn't really use it uh, in certainly in uh, Western Europe and America much mm. before uh, before the 2000s.
0: What about if you're on HRT? Can these things still be helpful and effective?
1: I think, uh, as a food herb, uh, ginseng is absolutely fine to take. I think that even uh, herbs like rhodiola, licorice, Siberian ginseng; those are herbs that, although they have a, an adaptogenic influence, they they don't interfere uh, with um, with HRT. What um, is an
0: adaptogenic influence for the listeners?
1: An adaptogenic herb is is a herb that. Um, uh, that stimulates uh, the body.
0: And um,
1: it, it does so to um, help the body adjust to the stress that they are under. Now, that adaptogenic influence might apply to the adrenal system, but it, um, where, where our stress is coming from, but it might also apply to any other gland within the end- endocrine system. So, um, and all herbs stimulators, it's part of their, the nature. Of what we're doing, whether it's parsley or it's rhodiola radi- rosea, they all stimulate us, but how they stimulate us and to what extent they stimulate us and whether that stimulation has a um, a, a supportive or stimulatory uh, effect is, is is whether it benefits us. I always err on the side of supportive.
0: Okay, so in terms of uh, in relation to the question about HRT, mm. would these things still be helpful or I'm thinking about the ones that might impact hot flushes, would they be effective, would it be not be worth it, could it help, is it too much?
1: Well I think in the case of, um, it, it, really for the, the benefit of your relationship with your, your physician, it is important that uh, they have an awareness of what, they're do- what you are doing. I think also, um, it's because essentially they're responsible mm. for, 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 for what, you're, what you're going through. Um, I think also that um, the, when you look to a herb, to, if you're, you're getting symptoms like hot flushes and, and you're taking uh, HRT, that using herbs like sage are only going to do you good. Right. They're not going to uh, co- cause any any problems. Using ginseng is going to support the work that the HRT is doing. Right. On the other hand, using herbs like black cohosh, um, agnus castus, uh, peony, those are herbs that are far more likely to interfere with the work that the, right. the, the HRT is doing. And I think I think um, a, a physician would, would sort of feel that whilst they might not have all the information that they need about that herb, they, they would feel that there is the potential there to interfere with the HRC. Yeah. Okay. So that, that would be
0: my. Okay, my that's view. good to know. Right, well, this has gone incredibly quickly, so I'm going to wrap up with um, one last question for you, Ed. Yeah. What would be your sort of top two? herbal or foodie tips for women going through the menopause? Okay. My,
1: my first is, um, is something that I haven't mentioned yet, which is, is linseeds. Um, linseeds contain a nutrient called lignin um, and a specific type of lignin that is very easily digestible for people. Now, you can get lignin just by eating two, one to two tablespoons of uh, linseeds every day and chewing them. Ground
0: is, or unground? I
1: think, I think unground is better myself because mm-hmm. you don't stand the chance of interfering with uh, the process of digestion because okay. saliva is quite an important part of, of, of digesting certain constituents of, of, of any food, particularly nutrients. And uh, I think that lignans can play a huge role in benefiting our health during the menopause um, without interfering with the process that you are going through. Right. Um, so, if you are sort of looking at things that you might associate as phytoestrogens, then of that family of nutrients, and the phytoestrogens are, are nutrients, I would look at the lignans. And okay. For lignans, you can look at nettle root, or best of all, you can look at uh, linseeds.
0: Okay, great. That sounds like a fantastic
1: tip. So that would be my number one, and then I think um, I think my number two um, would um, would be to um, eat lots of seeds and berries and nuts throughout that period of your life, because I think those food groups more than any other have the the complex of nutrients to really fit in with what it is you're missing. There are many, many people who, as far as I understand it, have very little experience of the symptoms we associate with the menopause. Their hair stays in good condition, their skin and nails, they don't experience hot flushes, they don't experience the anxiety. Or maybe they do, but to a much lesser extent. Right. To, uh, to fuel the body with everything it needs to stabilise your condition is there can't be anything better than that. Great, there's so plenty nuts, of herbs, seeds, plenty of seeds plenty berries,
0: linseed, great. You heard it here, fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I feel there's so much more that uh, we could discuss. So I may well be inviting you back if, well, if you'd like to come because I think there's a lot to talk about. But thank you so much, it's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. So that concludes this episode of The Happy Menopause. There's so much useful information there that I hardly know where to start, but I'm definitely going to be stocking up on the sage leaves when I go to the market next. It's also really interesting to know that nuts and seeds are so important. I'll add some recipe suggestions to the show notes so you can keep yourselves nicely topped up. So visit the podcast page on my website well-well-well.co.uk. I've also added links to Ed's social media and the Bionutri website, so you can find out more about the work that he does. If you've enjoyed the podcast, one of the best ways you can support it is by leaving a review on whichever platform you listen on. And please also encourage your family and friends to listen. Make sure you have pressed subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next episode and find out how to have a truly happy menopause. Thanks for listening, have a great day and bye for now.